0: When I when you say those things, this room, this room, it's cushy chairs over here, man. I know, I know, I know. I can't, I can, I can take the desk out of my head, but not the my head out of the desk, All right? But anyway, um, you know, I was talking to some of my, you know, friends back in Staten Island. I saw like Pastor Dean and some of the guys uh, on Tuesday, and it's just like you think about what we speak of, you know, like talking about the Lord coming back, like in a real way, like. In in a a timely way, it's just you almost got to like pinch yourself like that's you're gonna see what the whole church age has been waiting for you know like Paul's writing about it two thousand years ago and it's at your doorsteps. Are you setting a date, Pat? No, I'm not setting a date, but I'm not I'm not stupid. I'm not blind and I'm not deaf and dumb. Um, It's 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 upon us. So we just gotta sober up and enjoy the ride, man. It'll be it'll be a good ride. Um, So that's not the message. Book of John. Let's turn to John chapter 21. All right even though with John it could be the message if you if you know anything about the book of John if I will that he tarry till I come um, so some vital statistics 21 chapters, wow perfect, 777 um, 879 verses, 18,658 words John 21, 24 very clearly tells you who the author of the book is it is The beloved disciple John, the Apostle John, this is John 21, 24. This is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things. All right, so it's not, he's not pulling any punches here. He kind of signs his name to the end of the book. Now, around 90 AD, so it's the latest of the Gospels written down. You know, 85 to 90, you're going to see people are going to all kind of, I just picked a nice round number Ninety. It's, some people say eighty-five to ninety. It's late. It's a late gospel, and we'll talk about you know what, how that shakes out in it. Um, his parents. We know Zebedee was his father, that master fisherman. We read about uh, them leaving their father and, and, and his work, uh, and his mother might have been uh, uh, Salome, right? Not hundred percent, but many people speculate Salome who is one of those women in the Gospels who ministers to the Lord of her substance. You know, there were some women that had some means and they wanted to help Jesus Christ and she might have been one of those people. She was one of those people and John may have very well been her, her son. Uh, John 19.27 shows you in John 19.27, uh, I'm not going to read the verse, but it says that John had his own home. So John had a home of his own in Jerusalem, so he might have been a man of some means right? That's, that's the, uh, that's the deduction. And John as, we often think of John as this like mellow, lovey-dovey, gushy guy that would lean his head on Jesus' breast at supper. But remember what he was called before he was saved? He was called the son of thunder, right? He's one of the sons of thunder. So he, I guess he got that name because he was, hey, thunder isn't you know, quiet and meek, right? It's rough and it's brash and it's loud. So I guess John, before he met Jesus Christ, was, was somebody that you might have heard across the barroom yelling and making a lot of noise, but when grace came, that lion became a lamb, right? Which is, that's, that's a whole message in itself. He becomes, the son of thunder becomes the apostle of love. Think about the change. What was the difference? Jesus Christ was the difference. And you might have been loud and rough and crude and hard around the edges and rough around the edges. But you meet Jesus Christ and you spend some time with Jesus Christ and you lean your head on his breast. Guess what? It's going to be about love. It's going to be about people. It's going to be about about affection. I mean, it just it melts your heart, man. I mean, Jesus Christ, he melts that icy heart and just makes it soft. You know, we're supposed to be soft. We're not supposed to be hard. The Bible says, don't let your heart get hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now the other day, um, the social worker told me about my student Fiona, and I'm not boasting myself at all. I'm a jerk, but you know she tells me, you know, Fiona's not doing well. So my head sinks down. You know, I'm just like, oh, you know. And my colleague's like, are you okay? I'm like, I want to be. Am I okay? I'm like, what's wrong with you? Is that a 14-year-old girl dying of cancer like isn't it resonating at all with you? I mean, that doesn't bother you in at least a secular way. And and you see, the more the world gets further further away from God that natural affection becomes less and less of a natural thing. I mean, that, you know, that mommies are killing babies and, you know, and, and daddies are leaving homes. Like it's just more and more of that hardness. And when you meet Jesus Christ, it's supposed to melt you on the inside, man. It's supposed to give you a, a pliable heart. Clay is supposed to be like that could be molded. You can't mold a rock, but you can mold clay. And that clay has to get wet and be soft, wet with the water of the word, and, and soft so that the, the potter's hands can shape you into what you're supposed to be. I better hurry, because I got the whole book of John ahead of me. All right. John 19, 26. Right? When there Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved. We've said it before. John calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved on four different occasions. Do you see yourself? As the disciple whom Jesus loved, church. If John pictures the church, we'll talk about it at the end, and you're the church, do you see yourself as the one Jesus loved? How differently your life would be if you saw yourself as the one that Jesus loved. It would change you like a changed John. Some key words, believe. 85 times in the book of John. That is far more than any other book of the Bible. That's even more than the writings of Paul. Eighty-five times it's mentioned in the book of John, more than any book of the Bible. Possibly because John is so late, John was probably and likely influenced by Paul's preaching. And of course, Paul's preaching was very much about faith, justification by faith, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So John is very late, and you see some of the Pauline influence perhaps on John, who seems to be so much about faith, faith, believe, the Son of God. Key verse, John chapter 20, verse 31. Here is the mission statement of the book, the purpose of the book. Here's why we print these books and give them out. Which we've got to get back to doing more disciplined with. John 20, 31. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing... You might have life through his name. Wow, that is the, you want to underline one verse in the book of John? That's the one to underline. That's why we give the book out. That's why we tell people read the book of John. Why? Because the book of John is meant to point you to faith in Jesus Christ that'll save your soul. It's to show you who he is as the son of God and the savior of the world. Now, John writes three different areas, right? He writes John's gospel. Some people call that big John. And John's gospel portrays Jesus Christ as the one to believe. Got that? Then he writes epistles. Some people call that little John. First John, second John, third John. In those epistles, Jesus Christ is the one you should love. A lot about love in those letters. And then John writes also the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ is the one you should wait for. He's the one you should believe. He's the one you should love. He's the one you should wait for. That's the different focus in all those sections that John writes. Now go to John chapter 13, verse 23. John 13, 23. It says here's our last supper, right? John 13, 23. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Now, John's Gospel is written the furthest from Jesus' resurrection, the furthest from his ascension. About 50 years it's written away from when Jesus died and rose again. It's got the furthest distance from the actual events and yet this book is the most profound. This book is the most intimate. This book is the most personal of all the Gospels. Because why? Because the Apostle John, you got to get this, he actually heard the heartbeat of God. He heard the heartbeat of God. And what did God's heartbeat say? I know Josh might correct me, but it's got that that, that thump, right? You know know what what the heartbeat of John's Gospel is, which is the heartbeat of God? Believe. 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 That's the heartbeat of God, for without faith it's impossible to please him. Faith cometh by hearing. John heard the heartbeat of God and know what he writes about more than anything? Believe. 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 Right? There are some key peculiarities of the book of John. Here's one. The occurrence of the word Jews. Jews. J-E-W-S. Jews. It It's not in a lot of the other Gospels. In Matthew, the word only appears five times. In Mark, it appears six times. In Luke, it appears five times. In John, it appears 65 times the word Jews. What does that tell us? One, that the audience of the book of John is probably beyond just the Jews. It's probably not just limited to the Jews. It's probably beyond the Jews. It's probably to the whole world. And that's why it sometimes delineates the Jews because it's not written to just a Jewish audience. Again, it's written after 70 AD. 70 AD, Titus comes from Rome and destroys Jerusalem and the Jews are scattered. So it's written later and you've got Paul's influences also in John's life. So some interesting nuggets there. Also, there are only seven miracles talked about in the book of John. Seven signs in the book of John that show the total and complete power of the word alone. So we'll get into those seven signs in a little bit. So in Jesus Christ, lastly, in terms of introduction, Jesus Christ is portrayed as the son of God. That was easy. You probably saw that coming. Matthew is the lion. He's portrayed as the Jewish king. Mark was the ox, portrayed as the God's servant. Luke was the man. He's portrayed as the ideal man. And John, what beast he lines up with is the eagle, that one that soars in the heavens. So Jesus Christ is portrayed as the son of God, the heavenly son of God, the divine son of God, the God-man, the one who came down from heaven. So introduction, let's get to the breakdown here. You see it right there. He is the Chapters 1, the beginning of chapter 1, He is is the Son of God before His incarnation. We read about Him as the Word. We'll talk about that. Uh, Verse 15 to chapter 12, He is the Son of God revealed to the people, revealed to the public, revealed to the general populace through His words and His deeds. Then chapters 13 to 17 is the upper room discourse, right? Now He's talking to His disciples, so it's the Son of God revealed to His own. And that's when you see Him a lot more fully. That's where He speaks to you. And then chapters 18 to 19, the Son of God slain. And chapters 20 to 21, the Son of God established because he's resurrected, and there he is. So let's get into some pictures and some truths. here. Let's go to John 1 and verse 1. Let's talk about him as the word. Ah, I knew I forgot something. I forgot two things today. I forgot my board, and I forgot my fake Bibles. Ah, so you're going to have to just take my word on some of these things I quote, Right? Um, and I ordered a brand new fake Bible to like use tonight and everything. And Amazon brought it on time. So, John 1.1. 1, 1, all right? In the beginning was the Word, capital W. And the Word was with God. That's important. And the Word was God. That's also very important. So please notice, before His incarnation, before He became the Son, so to speak, He is the Word, The beginning of John is very much like the beginning of Genesis. And um, I want you to hold your place there and go to 1 John chapter 5. If you don't know 1 John chapter 5, verse number 7, you don't know a very important verse about your Bible. 1 John chapter 5, verse 7 is the strongest verse in the Bible on the Godhead. The strongest verse in the Bible on the triune nature of God is 1 John 5, 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, capital W, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. So it's no coincidence that 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 verse is removed in almost every modern version if I brought my fake Bibles, I would have had somebody read, I would have had Eugene read the Holman Christian Standard Bible and he would have read 1 John 5, 7 and it would have said, for there are three that testify. That's the whole verse. right? If I had brought my not inspired version of my NIV, I would have given it to Brian and Brian would have read 1 John 5, 7 and the NIV and it would have said, for there are three that testify. That's all it says. If I brought my New Living Translation or my No Lord translation or whatever we want to call that piece of trash, that New Living Translation. Hi, everybody at home. All right. If you need a King James Bible, we'll get you one. All right. But uh, I would have given that to Pete, and Pete would have very eloquently uh, said 1 John 5, 7. So we have, (laughs) this is how it goes in the New Living Translation. So we have these three witnesses. That's how it goes. So we got these, it's like, hey, oh, we got a thing. All right. So we have these three witnesses. All of them cut off the most important part of the verse. The triune nature of God, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Hey, I can get three witnesses at a car accident. I got a car accident last week. There were three witnesses. There was nothing divine about it, except the fact that I walked away from it. But you know what? This is a very important verse, and it's under attack in new versions. Even if it's in the Bible, sometimes they put a footnote and try to like disqualify it from even being there. That verse right there shows us the triune nature of God, otherwise known as the Godhead. Go to Revelation 19, 13. <clears throat> Revelation 19, 13. He's coming back, right? Here he is. This is going to happen in a few years. You'll see this happen. Well, at least you'll be coming back with him when this happens. And it says, And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Capital W, Word of God. Jesus Christ's name is the Word. Do you know what those verses should make you do? How do you treat your Bible? Like, you understand? Like, do you leave this on the floor? Do you, like, not know where this is sometimes? Like, I know you can burn your Bible and you can't burn God. I know you could write with ink on this Bible and you can't put ink on God, but this is as close as you get to Jesus Christ, folks. This is God in words, and his name is called the Word of God, and you're holding the Word of God, so I don't quite know where that line is, but I'd be real careful with that Bible if I were you. I'd have a lot of respect and care and, and, and just affection for it. I wouldn't leave it on the floor. I wouldn't throw it on the coffee table because uh, his name is called the Word of God. And your attitude towards the word is very much indicative of your, of your relationship with Jesus Christ. He said, if a man loves me, he will keep my words. doesn't mean you're going to keep them under his arm. He's going to keep them precious in his heart. So if that book is thrown on the floor and not looked at from Monday to Saturday, you only open it up on Sunday morning to look like a good Christian, well, that makes me nervous, right? That makes me nervous. Um, now, go back to John 1. Let's get, a little, let's get a little close reading here. You know, in English class, we say, let's do a close reading. I don't mean you put the book close to your face. It just means we slow down and look at it really carefully. What are some things about this word? Now watch this. In the beginning was the word. We got that, right? And then it says, now watch it really carefully, and the word, capital W, was with God. That means in that Godhead, there is a separation of persons. That means that there's another separate person from the Father. Because the word was with God. Right? Now go to John 17. I don't understand it either, right? <laughs> go to John 17. Hold your place in John 1. John 17:5 says this. Look what Jesus says when he's praying. John 17, 5, he says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had. With thee, before the world was. So, the Godhead is a mystery. I get it. But there is some kind of separate persons going on there because the Word is with God. He's somehow separate from the Father. But then if you read the next verse, if you go to John 1, back to John 1, and it's kind of right in the same breath, he says it in the next verse. He says, And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, a separate person, but equal with the Father. And in John ten thirty, Jesus says, I and my Father are one. So they're separate, but equal. They're separate persons, but one God. When you figure it out, please let me know. But I'm just kind of reading what the Bible says, not what you think it says. That's just what the Bible says. I'm just reading it the way it's written. And um, just to prove to you that He's God, look at Hebrews 1. Look at Hebrews 1.8. Hold your place in John and look at Hebrews 1.8. Is your head spinning yet? Because <laughs> John is the deepest. John is the most like profound uh, of the gospel writers. He has less story and just more character. Uh, Hebrews 1 verse 8. Right? This is a great verse for Jehovah's Witnesses who think that Jesus is uh, just a created God. Um, it says, Hebrews 1 8. This is the Father speaking, right? The Father is speaking, verse 6. Let all the angels of God worship Him. Verse 8. But unto the Son He saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. So God the Father is speaking to God the Son and saying, God, your throne, Son, is forever and ever. So God the Father is calling the Son God because I and my Father are one. All right? Think about that for the rest of your life. All right? So let's go back to, uh, let's not go anywhere just yet. Um, I'm just going to give these to you because I am not going to flip to all these verses. We'll be here all night. But I want to do some of the sevens in the book of John. That's how I figured I'd break it down. Some of the sevens. Let's start with the seven, the seven I am's in the book of John. There are seven I am's that Jesus talks about. Number one is in John 6, 35. I am the bread of life right? I am the bread of life. You know what that tells me? Jesus Christ will sustain you. Jesus Christ will feed you. Jesus Christ will be that strength you need because the Bible says in Psalms that bread strengtheneth a man's heart. And if you need strength for your heart, I am the bread of life. Number two, John chapter eight, verse number 16. I am the light of the world. I am The light of the world. John 8, 16. I am the light of the world. You know what light does? Light separates you. Bread strengthens you. Light separates you. And God divided the light from the darkness. Genesis 1, 5. Light, if we turn the lights off and just shine a flashlight, it'll be different from the rest of this dark room. Hello? among whom ye shine as lights in the world. You're supposed to be different and separated from the darkness that's all around you out there. That's what God says. I am the light of the world. I will make you different. I'll make you separate. I'll put you on the winning side. The whole Bible is a battle between night and day, light and dark. From Genesis 1.5 to Revelation 22, it's about the children of light versus the children of the night. And you're supposed to be on the right side of this and be shining because you're a child of light. Number 3, the third I am. John 10:9. John 10:9. I am the door. By me if any man enter in he shall be saved and shall go in and out and shall find pasture. John 10:9 says I am the door. You know what he does? He gives you access. He lets you into the throne room. He lets you into the presence of God. He's the one that gets you to God unless you keep walking in there anytime you need him. I am the door. John ten eleven. John ten eleven. I know I'm doing low level flying here, but I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. You know what the good shepherd does? He leads you. He guides you. He protects you. That's what the good shepherd does. Number five. John eleven twenty five. John eleven twenty five, 25. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. You know what he does? He saves you from death. If you're in the grave, he'll get you out of the grave. And if you're here walking around when he comes, he'll just translate you from life to death, from death to life. You'll never see death. Right? So that's, he's going to save you from death. Hallelujah for that. John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That pretty much covers everything. He's going to be the one that directs you. He's the truth. That'll be your way. That'll be your life. He's just going to be that path for you. He's going to be that direction for you. And then finally, John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. You know what that means? He's going to let you bear fruit for God's glory. There was another vine that failed. Their name is Israel. Israel was a vine that God planted, and she failed to bring forth the fruit that God wanted to see, so he sent his son. He says, I am the true vine. I'm going to bring forth the fruit that my father wants to see, and if you're grafted in and abiding in him, you could bring forth the fruit that he wants to see. He's the true vine. See, everything about John is about the character of Christ. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, right? The Son of God. And that believing, you might have life through his name. So the seven I am's. All right? Ready for the next seven? All right? Okay? How about the... An eraser. Um, The seven signs of John. How about this? The seven signs of John. I'll just write them next to it over here. right? The seven signs of John. I'm going to flip to some of them, but not all of them. These are the seven miracles in the book of John. And number seven is the number of completion, the number of totality, the number of perfection. So if we look at these seven miracles in John, these seven signs, they show us the complete work of faith in a believer's life from start to finish. You know where it starts? John 2:11. When he turns water into wine. I know you think that's your justification for New Year's Eve, but that's not what that's there for, right? That ain't the wine that he was drinking, all right? It was juice, all right? If you want me to explain that to you, I will. But you know what that means? That's about salvation through the blood. His first miracle was turning water into wine. You know what Moses' first miracle was, his first public miracle? Turning water into blood. You know what Jesus Christ's first public miracle was? Turning water into wine, a type of blood. The blood of the grape is what that juice is. So that is a picture of salvation because Jesus Christ came down and he was going to give his blood, shed his blood. Why? To save us from our sins. That's the first miracle. Salvation through the blood. Let's go to John chapter 4. We'll look at this one. That happens at Cana, right? Okay. On the third day, oh, there's a lot in there. All right. At a wedding, on the third day, mm-mm, all right. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, you'll get there. You'll get there. Stay with it, all right? Because we're going to be in a wedding on the third day, and we're going to drink some fruit of this vine with him in his kingdom. I will not drink forth henceforth the fruit of this vine wasn't talking about hooch. He was talking about the grapes he just squeezed in the cup. I will not drink henceforth the fruit of this vine until I drink it new, new wine with you in my kingdom. And his first miracle is drinking or making water into wine on the third day at a wedding. 1,000, 2,000, 3,000. The third day is almost here, folks. You're about to break open the glasses and have some new wine with your beloved, right, at the wedding feast, right? John chapter four is the second miracle. John four forty six. <clears throat> so Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee. Remember when he was there before? He was there here. This pictures the blood. This pictures salvation. This pictures him shedding his blood to save your soul from death. And what happens in Cana next? And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down, ere my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, thy son liveth. Woo! You know what that pictures? The second miracle at Cana? Salvation by faith without works. What did that man do? He just believed the word. And the son was healed. In the same spot where the water was made wine, somebody gets healing by simply believing the word of Jesus Christ. Guess what? He shed his blood, folks. You know what you got to do? Get to that spot and just believe the word now. And you get saved by faith without works. Third miracle is in John chapter 5. There's a progression here, right? First one is salvation. Then the blood, salvation. The third one is in John chapter 5 when he heals that impotent man who couldn't stand. Because you know what Jesus Christ gives you? He gives you a new standing now. The Bible says, thou standest by faith, right? Now you have a standing with God. You had no standing with God. You were like that impotent man. You couldn't walk. You had no strength to stand before God. Jesus Christ comes over and he gives you a standing. He puts strength in your legs. Now you can walk with him. The Bible says, into this grace wherein we stand, Romans chapter 5. Grace lets you stand. Grace puts shoes on your feet so you could stand before a holy God like that impotent man who previously had no strength to stand. That's the third miracle healing the impotent man, giving him strength to stand and walk with God. Follow the progression. The bloodshed, salvation by faith, a standing and a new walk. Fourth miracle is in John chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. It's when he feeds the 5,000. You know what it means, the feeding of the 5,000? That God will not just give you a standing, But God will sustain you with bread from heaven. He'll give you bread from heaven. He shed his blood to save you. You get saved by faith. Believe, 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 believe. John chapter 6. This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. Then he lets you stand like that impotent man who for years wasted his life and wasn't able to stand. But then when Jesus came along, he got strength to stand and walk. That's you. And then his bread from heaven bread that he multiplies to feed the multitudes. How does this little book feed so many Christians? How does this little bunch of sixth grade words and 75% one-syllable words, how do these few loaves and fishes have fed the church for 2,000 years? Isn't that amazing, right? We could all sit around, whether it's at somebody's house or at a meeting, and we can open up the Bible and read something on a Tuesday night in the Psalms, and we all get something. We all get filled up. God fills our cup. Why? Because this is bread from heaven to sustain you. I can see you're very excited about that. But let me move on. All right, all right. John six, verse sixteen to twenty-one is the next miracle. All right. It's when Jesus Christ walks on the water. This is steps to overcoming. Again, we're just following a tra- uh, trajectory. 6 verses 16 to 21 when Jesus walks on the water right you know what that is Jesus Christ putting all those obstacles under his feet all those waves that are threatening those disciples all those things that are scaring them making them freak out Jesus Christ just treads them under his feet and if you walk with Jesus Christ for long enough guess what all those obstacles and all those problems he'll show you how to overcome them how to walk above the fray Rise above the difficulty and walk with Him. This is, the tr- this is the path. You see the path? Salvation by the blood, salvation by faith, a new standing, bread from heaven, victory. Six. Six miracles in John chapter 9. Verses 1 to 7. He gives a man sight who had been born blind. You know what that is? Jesus Christ will give you then spiritual vision. He might he gives you the sight right away, but it takes some time to get your vision. Where there is no vision, the people perish. You don't get the vision right away. You get your sight right away. You see who Jesus Christ is, but a little bit of time it takes, then you get your vision. Then you start to see your purpose. Then you start to get perspective. This guy was born blind. By the end of chapter 9, he sees exactly who Jesus Christ is. He got his vision in the beginning. He got his vision in the first verse. It's not till the end of the chapter that he really sees who he is and decides to worship him. Because guess what? When you get saved, oh, I can see. Praise God. I know I'm alive. I know I'm going. when I die. But it takes a little bit of time for you to figure out who Jesus Christ really is so you get your vision. You get your perspective. You start to see who I am and who he is. You know what the answer is? It's the answer of that man. Who is he, Lord, that I may worship him? Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. You know what he does? He hits the deck, and he worships him. That didn't happen in verse 1. But he got his sight in verse 1. Hey, when I got saved, I was just excited to not be going to hell anymore. Glory to God. I was like, wow, that's what Jesus Christ did for me. I got that thing on my doorknob. I said, whoa, I'm going to heaven. It took me a little while to get that all short of my heart because I'd grown up in a religion that said that was a presumptuous sin to think you could know for sure. And then I got that settled. But it's taking a little bit of time, and he's still doing it, right, guys, for all of us? He's right. giving you that vision. He's trying to, like, get those scales off your eyes. You start to see, okay, man, this is what it's really about. This is why I gave you a family. This is why I gave you breath in your lungs. This is what life is all about. Bow down and worship me. Who is he, Lord? It's me. Whoa. He's been you all along. Boom. Hit the deck. That's vision. And where there is no vision, the people perish. Take some time to get your vision. And then finally, go to John 11. Here's the last miracle. John 11, 25. Uh Uh-oh. My time's up. Is it five o'clock already? I'm starting to twitch. I'm twitching. Right. The salvation of our bodies is the last miracle here. It's John eleven twenty five. 25. It's the resurrection of Lazarus. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Brethren, you're going to see this verse come to life. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Do you see the order? how these seven signs of John paint the total picture of the work of God in your life, what faith does in your life. He starts by doing a miracle to bring the blood down, the one that the, the blood that'll save your soul. Then you have a place where if you get to that same spot, you can get saved without works by believing His Word. Then He gives you a standing where you can walk with Him. He gives you bread from Heaven to sustain Him. He gives you the ability to overcome the obstacles that beat against your ship. He gives you spiritual vision to understand who He is so you can really worship at his feet and then he's gonna one day save your body from death he saved your soul up here but down here he's saving your body when Romans 8 says we are saved by hope he's not talking about saving your soul he's talking about the salvation of your body right when he talks about Romans 5 9 much more now being justified by his blood we shall be saved from wrath through him he's talking about the deliverance that's yet to come who is sitting near you. When Jesus Christ steps out of heaven, you know what he's going to do? He's going to save your body. As Pastor Dean would always say, you're two-thirds saved. Your soul is saved. Your spirit is quickened. But this flesh is still lost. It still betrays you. It still stinks, just like Lazarus stinketh. But one day is coming very soon where he's going to say, come up hither. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, this body's going to get changed so it will be fitted for heaven. And that's the last sign of John. And that's the last thing we're waiting for, folks. You see the order? You see? It's like God wrote the Bible. Amen. I mean, I sometimes think he did and then I think you did, but with these moments like these, I really believe he did it. I really believe he did it, right? You notice what happens in John chapter 12 too, right? Right after Lazarus is raised. Is a little side note, they're in the house having a supper, you know, because as soon as you get raised, you know what's going to happen? The marriage supper of the Lamb is next up on the agenda. So, you know, the Bible is just laying it all out. It's just beautifully laid out there. Just that was a little something, something extra. Um, All right, let's go to John chapter 19. Let's do some heavy lifting now. All right, let's let's let your head spin a little bit now. All right, John chapter 19. All right, John chapter 19. Oh, I got to hurry. John chapter 19, verse 32. See it with me. If you're there, say amen. Amen. Okay. All right. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the other, which was crucified with him, meaning the thieves. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, because nobody ever died in Jesus' presence, he was dead already before the, soldiers were ki- before the thieves were killed, right? The thieves didn't die in his presence. He died in their presence. Nobody ever died in Jesus Christ's presence because he is life, right? And then it says, they break not his legs because a bone of his should not be broken, right? Uh, but one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came there out blood and water. And verse 35, And he that saw it, meaning John, bear record. And his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. That moment when they stuck that spear in his side and blood and water came out, John says, this is a very important moment. It's a moment that's supposed to make you believe. Believe what? What's the book about? That Jesus is the Son of God. So let's break down what is that blood and water about and why does John say it was such an important record and witness of who Jesus Christ is that you might believe? Go to 1 John chapter 5. Let's put it all together with feeling. 1 John, which is little John, towards the back of your Bible. Why did he make a note of that blood and water coming out of Jesus' side? Why did he say, I saw it and I bear record? 1 John 5, look at verse 5. You there? Say amen. 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 Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he that came, watch it now, by water and blood. Even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit. That beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this, the water and the blood, this is the witness of God which he hath testified of his Son. You understand what happened in that cross? Water and blood came out for the Holy Spirit to bear witness that Jesus is the Son of God. Why? The water is the humanity of Christ. We all have a water birth. We all come out of belly of water and Jesus Christ had water. That water connects to his humanity. John chapter 3, except a man be born of water, first birth, and of the Spirit, second birth. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, water. You were born in the belly of water. Oh, my, the water broke. Did they break her water yet? The blood is the deity of Christ. Because Acts 20, 28 tells me that that was God's blood that ran through Jesus' veins. The Bible says in Acts 20, 28 that God purchased the church with His own blood. So the fact that blood and water came out of them and John makes a note and then John writes a few years later in the book of 1 John, hey, that water and that blood that agreed in one, the Spirit bore witness and this is the witness of God that He has testified of His Son. He says, whoa, that's the Son of God right there. Water and blood. Man and God in one person agreeing in one you got God living inside you but it ain't always agreeable isn't it? for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh but guess what in Jesus Christ the water and the blood and the spirit they agreed in one Jesus Christ he was the one and that's why he talks about the record right? this is the record this is the witness because God's bearing witness to the son of God with these signs where that water and blood came out why John makes such a big deal of it? Because he says that's God's final testimony, that this man that died, what did the centurion say? That was the Son of God. I know the medical doctors say, well, it's because the congestive heart failure and the sack of water was pierced. Maybe so, but that's not the spiritual significance of it. John chapter 21. Last uh, couple of verses of your book of John. right, John 21, last verse, 25. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one I suppose, that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. Amen? Chapter 20, look at 20 and verse 30. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. You know what that tells us? That God gave you everything you need in that Bible. You don't need, you know this person's pontification about what Jesus did when he was 17, you don't need this spurious gospel, you need somebody's inferences. Are there things that Jesus did that weren't recorded? Of course they are, of course they were. This isn't like a a minute by second, you know, a transcript of Jesus' life. This is what God, in your Bible, you have exactly what God wanted you to have. You understand that? Nothing more, nothing less. Exactly, nothing more, nothing less. Nothing to take away, nothing to add to. That's That's liberating. You have exactly what God wanted you to know, that Jesus is the Christ, that you might believe and be saved. So let's get to two big ideas. I'm going to hurry through two big ideas, go back to John 1. If you could stay with me, we're going to do this even faster than I did the rest of this. But I got 15 minutes or so to do these two big ideas in the book of John. Thanks. Deep breath in. Use my diaphragm, okay? First big idea of the book of John, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. If there was a book you wanted to turn to, to clearly show that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh, we got a lot of verses, 1 Timothy 3.16 is a good verse. Colossians 2 has got a good verse. Philippians 2 has got a good verse. There's lots of good verses all scrambled all over the Bible, but if I really wanted to walk people through a bunch of verses, a full mention that shows very clearly and says very emphatically that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh is the book of John. That's the one the scholars want to discredit the most, the book of John, because the spirit of Antichrist hates that God was manifest in the flesh because he wants to be God manifest in the flesh. So they go after the book of John, not by accident. Because, I mean, all the, I mean, God loved these Jehovah's Witnesses. They want to pray. Oh, Jesus never said he was God. Have you read the book of John? He did on more than one occasion. Now, he didn't sound a trumpet after himself because he didn't come to earth to be God. He came to earth to be man. So he's very humble and, and subdued in that regard. But the book of John is just full of just explicit and implicit statements that show and say that jesus was god manifest in the flesh i'm going to walk you through seven hey i got all these sevens right let's look at john one verses one to three in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god the same was in the beginning with god All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. He's not a God, like the New World Translation says. The Jehovah's Witness Bible says, a God. He's not a God. He's not a created God. He's not a lesser God. Jehovah's Witnesses teach that, no, God created Jesus, and Jesus created everything else. right? But verse 3 says, All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus Christ was the Creator, not a God, not a created God, not a lesser God, but the capital G-O-D, God. That makes their head spin, because that spirit of Antichrist confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, right? That antichrist, that spirit is trying to get the world ready for another Christ to be manifest in the flesh, the devil to be manifest in the flesh. So of course that doctrine is hated by scholars, it's hated by cult, it's hated by everybody because that's what makes Jesus different. He wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a teacher. He was God manifest in the flesh. You and I should not be bashful about that. That's what the Bible is very clearly saying. Verse number 14 is your second stop. You want to walk somebody through? You start there. And then you bring them over to verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory. Verse 18. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. You show Him that the Word, that God, was made flesh. And that image of God came to declare Him to us, we got to see what God was like in the person of Jesus Christ. He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Third stop, John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Verse number 17. Jesus Christ heals a man. They're freaking out because He healed a man on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Seems like an innocent statement. I'm just working my daddy's work. Verse 18, Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, watch it, underline it, making himself equal with God. God. Equal with the Father meant I'm working with the Father and doing the Father's work. He's doing His work in me. I'm doing His work because we're one. They knew exactly what He meant when He said, my Father worketh hitherto and I work. He said, you're making yourself God. And they wanted to kill Him. Chapter 8. Next stop on the deity of Christ train. Chapter 8. Verse 58 this angry crowd is arguing about who Jesus is. Thou art not yet 50 years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? You know, and they're just going back and forth with him. And he finally steps back and he gives them exactly what he knows they don't want to hear. John 8 58. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. What's he quoting? He's quoting Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, where that God in the burning bush says, hey, you want to know who's talking to you, Moses? Tell them, I am have sent you. And then he steps up in front of that same Jewish nation thousands of years later and says, hey, before Abraham was, I am. And they knew exactly what he meant. Because they, that's very interesting. What an interesting statement, Jesus. I think you have a tense shift. That's Rebeth's bad grammar. Before Abraham was, I am. That's the past tense and the present tense. No, that's not what they got upset about. The English teacher in me gets upset about that. But in verse 59, it says, Then took they up stones to cast at him. Why? He wasn't doing witchcraft. He wasn't doing anything, adultery. You know what his sin was that warranted stoning? Blasphemy. He was making himself God, and they knew it, and they were getting ready to kill him. If there was one verse that you learned to help contend for the deity of Christ, I'd learn Exodus 3.14 and John 8.58. Put those two together, put them in your chamber, just rock it once and fire. And I'm telling you, that just blows a hole in everybody. Because you got God in the burning bush, nobody denies that's Jehovah God talking to Moses. He says, My name is I am. And then there's Jesus Christ talking to the Jews again. He says, Hey, I am. If they don't want to hear that, good luck. <laughs> That's that's, that's a powerful, powerful cross-reference. How about John chapter 9? Here's another one. Here's one where it doesn't say Jesus is God, but it shows you that Jesus is God. John 9, 35, the blind man finds Jesus, right? Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found them, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? Does your Bible say Son of God in John 9.35? I hope it doesn't say Son of Man, because some of the new versions change John 9.35. I wonder why. Come to Discipleship 2 on Saturday, I'll give you one guess, right? right? 36, he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And in verse 39, Jesus doesn't pick him up. In verse number 40, Jesus doesn't rebuke him. In verse 41, Jesus doesn't pull him up by the ear and say, get up, I'm also a man. That's what Peter did. Amen. When Cornelius bowed down to Peter, he says, stand up, I am also myself, I'm a man. And anybody that's going to get their ring kissed or their feet kissed and want to be called Holy Father is antichrist, Amen. Because the Peter in my Bible wouldn't let him get up, you fool. <laughs> I don't want to get shot with a lightning bolt. But Jesus Christ accepted worship. What is He showing you? I'm God. Because in the book of Luke, when Jesus was being tempted of the devil, He said, hey, Jesus, Bow down and worship me, and he said, No, 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 split foot, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So, how could Jesus quote that in the desert and then accept the guy's worship unless he's God? Because he's told the devil, You're only supposed to worship God, Amen. and this man worshiped him. Amen. That tells me that he's God. Amen. Just put it together, folks, right? You know, Jesus never said he was God. I don't, know what Bible, I don't know what they're talking about. I don't know what they're talking about. Amen. Not the Bible I'm reading. right? Go to John chapter 10. Amen. All right? And that's the whole thrust of the book of John. That's what John's all about, the deity of Christ, the heavenly, the eagle. John chapter 10, verse 30. I and my father are one. <laughs> you know what the Jehovah's Witness alibi is for that verse? He meant they were one in agreement. In like John 17, that they may be one, even as we are one Father. I want the disciples to be of one mind and one mouth, like we're on the same page, God. Right? We're supposed to be of one mind and one mouth. That's what they say, that's what that means. 31, then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. They weren't upset that they were... we're Hey, wouldn't a religious leader be excited that you're in agreement with God? I, my father, are one. Oh, that's great. I'm glad you're on God's side. No, they pick up a big rock and they're ready to bust his head open. Jesus answered them, many good works have I showed you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him saying, for a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. Watch it. And because that thou being a man, makest thyself God. Why were they stoning him? because he was calling himself God in John ten thirty, They knew exactly what he meant. Somehow, our, our friends at the door don't understand that. And then John chapter 20, our last, our last stop on the Jesus is God train. John 20, 26. Oh, doubting Thomas gets his doubts dissolved. John 20, 26. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Oh, my goodness, is there a message in that phrase. Wow, it just hits me like a brick in my chest. Be not faithless, but believing. Oh, Lord, help thou mine unbelief. 28, And Thomas answered and said, My Lord and my capital G-O-D, God. And Jesus says in verse 29, you're blessed, Thomas. No rebuke. He says, blessed art thou because thou hast seen. (laughs) Blessed are they that have not seen and believed. Right? What? That he's Lord and God. So that's the first really big idea. Doctrinally, that's the first really big idea in the book of John, the deity of Christ. You want to defend the deity of Christ? Learn the book of John. You want to show them some verses? Walk them through some of these verses in the book of John. Again, if I had to remember one, I go to John 8:58 every time I got that silver bullet in my chamber, I'm just going to rock it. I'm going to fire that one right away. That is the to me, Exodus 3:14 on John 8:58. Put those together, you got a good case. If they don't want to hear that, they're not going to hear anything you say. But the second big idea, which is much shorter and much more personal, go to John 13. Doctrinally, the first big idea is the, the, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Practically, the big idea for us is the desire the Lord's church should have. Because John pictures the church. It says in John thirteen twenty three that he's the disciple whom Jesus loved. Ephesians 5 says, Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. John 13, 26, you'll notice that it's John, a type of the church, who gets a glimpse as to who the man of sin will be. Like I think the church may get a glimpse before we get out of here of who the man of sin will be. Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.3 seems to say that day shall not come except there come a falling way first and that man of sin be revealed. It looks like somebody's gonna get an inkling as to who he is. And I think it's gonna, it ain't gonna be the UN, they're gonna be propping him up. It ain't gonna be uh, the heretics or the Orthodox Church, it's gonna be God's church who's walking close and leaning on his breast and in close fellowship with him. What if some of us start getting an inkling that that one who dipped the sop, we could talk about the sop another time, but that one, and you watch the news, and you watch the guy that steps out on the world stage and starts calming down what's going on right now in the Middle East, you mark that man. I put my money on that man being the man of sin. Whoever can start to calm this down and bring peace to where there is no peace right now, that to me is the man. That to me is the tell. The one that can... Dip that sop and eat at that table, and bring those parties together. Just, I don't know. Seems to me, I'm riffing a little bit here, but I'm. That's what I think. And in Revelation four, John, we don't have to turn there, but John is the one that's caught up when the doors open in heaven, and the word church never appears again. Why? Because John is a picture of the church. And what is John doing in John 13, 23? He's the only disciple who had this intimate relationship with Christ. And I challenge you why weren't there more men at that table as close to the heart of God? Why wasn't Peter there? Peter seems to be like one seat away. Why wasn't James there? Why wasn't Bartholomew there? Why wasn't Andrew there? Why weren't there 11 guys all fighting to get their heads on that breast of the Savior? And if John pictures the church, why don't more Christians want to get as close to God as John? That's where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be leaning on his breast, close to him, and listen to his heartbeat that says, believe, 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 believe. It's 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 convicting. And folks, if the Lord's coming back tomorrow, next week, next year, five years. Whenever he's coming back, he is coming back. Amen. Right? You say, What are we supposed to do? John, he got close right at the end, right when he's telling them I'm leaving, right when the whole thing's about to be wrapped up and this thing's supposed to go crazy, you know what John is doing? What God's church is supposed to be doing. Get as close as you can. Maybe we should do more. uh, Yeah, we should do more of everything. We should do more evangelism. We should do more praying. We should do more fellowshipping. You know what we got to do first? Get on the bosom. Get close to his breast. Hear the heartbeat of God because without faith it's impossible to please him. You know, I scratch my head. What is the church of Jesus Christ supposed to do before Jesus Christ comes? Like, what is it? I mean, the man of sin has gone out. He's about to make that nefarious deal, right? Kind of pictures what's happening now because you watch the money. Watch out for the money. Judas had the bag, right? All this talk about global currencies and all this stuff about digital currencies. Watch the finances because that spirit is behind the money, right? You find the word perdition connected to money and, and, and Judas. The only two people that have the word perdition connected to them. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Right? So you watch what's going on with the money now. So Judas has gone out to go do his deal with the money and make his exchange. That means we're getting real close. The man of sin is about to become the son of perdition. We're right there at the doorsteps. And what's John doing? Uh, to me, that was my aha moment. That's what the church should be doing. Getting closer. Getting more consecrated. Getting more committed. Getting more fellowship. More private time. Falling more in love with his beloved. Because if we can get on his breast everything else will take care of itself. (laughs) Your family, how you manage your time, what ministry you should do, you just lay on his breast and hear his heartbeat. He'll tell you exactly what to do. And that's where the church needs to be. The deity of Christ and the desire that his church should have, it's all in the book of John. May we get closer to our God-man, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.